0: You for that freedom. Give us open hearts and open ears to hear the word that you have delivered to Pastor Darrell today. May it pierce our souls quickly, in the name of your Son. Amen. And you may be seated. So, yes, I've gotten younger. I've lost a ton of weight. I look great. (laughs) Okay. um, Here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to explain to you a little bit why. Pastor Daryl is so important to our church. Just give you one example, I didn't know this, but Megan told me last week she met with him for about an hour. Yeah, because you didn't call me back. Uh, That's why. Exactly. Every week, I send my sermon notes to Daryl. We talk all the time about it. Whenever there's a question about a certain curriculum, somebody wants to study, we run it by Daryl. I met Daryl in 1999. He and I were on staff together at another church in town. He was the associate pastor there. And right away, I had an affinity for him. Uh, he's very smart, he's very learned, he's, he's very patient uh, in the way he deals with me. Uh, I've always loved him, and when we first started thinking about starting a church, I knew I needed somebody like Daryl to moor me, to hold me accountable, to keep me tied, to make sure that what I was teaching was right, what I was teaching was true, also to give me some understanding of experience. Daryl's been in ministry a long time. He's been an associate pastor for 102 years. You were associate pastor? I can't think of a better guy to have alongside of me to start a church than this guy. He's been a huge blessing to me in so many ways. And so that's why I'm so excited that for the next two weeks, you guys get to hear from Daryl and his heart for you and for this congregation. We are very, very lucky to have a man of his stature on our team. So, I want to make sure you guys know that. And I feel so comfortable knowing that he's alongside of us in our ministry. So, Daryl come on up. You guys give him a hand. Thank you very much.
1: That was, that was over the top. Jeez. Well, thanks, Joe. You know, life is life's like sitting in the back seat of a convertible the wrong way. You know, because the, the car's headed that way, and you're in the back seat of the convertible, and everything's rushing by. And as it's happening, you can't quite figure it out because it's just too fast. But then, with just a little distance, you begin to say, "Oh, I see what that was about." And then. As you get further down the road, then you begin to figure things out. Oh, that house is part of this farm. I see. Okay. And and, and see, that's the way it is with life, isn't it? It's right on you at the moment, and you can't figure out what's happening. And that's how I felt when Joe asked me to come alongside and help him with the church. I'm going, what? Really? I don't know. What does he want me for? I don't know. But it's been working out real well. Now, Now, the funny thing is, you can't really understand who you are from the present. You can only understand who you are from the past. And yet, that's not always something you really want to go to. You're not always comfortable with that, are you? No, I'm not. Today, I want to talk about healthy repentance. And when, you, when I say healthy repentance, obviously there's such a thing as unhealthy repentance, right? There's, there's a way to do this, that is meaningful and helpful and good and that's what I want, I want to talk today about. So uh, you know I put those little outlines sheets in the bulletin that Joe so tactfully drew your attention to <laughs> during the announcements and you can fill it in if you're the kind of person who likes to fill in and take notes. That first sentence says healthy repentance is good for you. Yeah. You know it's You you tend to think of repentance as like you have to eat crow, you have to grovel, you have to humble yourself. Well, you know, it's not that simple. It's really actually quite good for you, indeed. And and that's what I'm I'm going to talk about today. Um, Without your past, who are you? Right? I mean, people who have amnesia, that's the problem they have. They don't know who they are. Jason Bourne didn't know who he was, you know, because he couldn't remember. He didn't, he didn't have a past. People tell you, well, you know, you need to live in the present. You'll hear advice like that, you know. Don't dwell on your past. Move on. But the other side of it is, if you don't pay attention to your past, then you don't know who you are or where you fit in either. It's a kind of a balancing act in a way, if you think about it, because your, your, your past is, you know, that's why some people move out of the community and go somewhere else. They just, they don't want to go. Start fresh. Start where they don't know me. Start all over again. Reset. And yet, <clears throat> we want to we be known for who we are. I mean, we don't want to be known for, I mean, if, if you want to be known for who you're not, that's a psychological problem. See Joe Davis about that, Okay. <laughs> But the amnesia victim, he's, he's, he's struggling to know who he is. So, see, see, what we're here, what we're talking about here is a dilemma. And the dilemma is I don't want my past to define me, but I do want my past to define me. I, I, I don't want my past to be a burden to me, to, to weigh me down. The things that I've done, I don't want them to dominate me. Uh, I want to be able to say I have no regrets in life, but then again, I've got all these regrets. I'm talking about the things I've done. Oh, I'm not talking about the things that are beyond your control. I'm just talking about what you are, what you've done. And so this dilemma, we, we, you know, we live with it. So I have three questions I want to go through here. And the first question is this. Do you feel you have no regrets? You can fill that in on your outline if you're following along. That's what the underline means there. Do you feel you have no regrets? Believe it or not, I can, I can remember when I was... 40 something maybe 42 and i and i went i thought to myself you know i don't have any regrets with my life i look back at that and i think what were you thinking you what, what are you an idiot what do you mean you have no regret now i've got the opposite problem all i've got is regrets you know and i keep saying nah, 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 you don't want to stay there either i mean It's not one extreme or the other. Some people, when you talk about their past, what they've done, they seem oblivious. They think, you know, I have no regrets. (laughs) I don't have any problems. Life's been wonderful for me. And and I really wonder about those kind of people. They seem that they're uh, like almost narcissistic or something, if you think that way. And, And then there's the other extreme where these people are just weighed down, you know, gloomy, doomy kind of people. They, that's all they have is regrets. They're sort of stuck there. So let's draw our first figure like this. You can remember these guys. Uh, this is what I do in my spare time, sitting at home, doodling, the same old drawings over and over. And this guy here, he's saying I have no regrets. Now, we don't know why he has no regrets, but we know it can't be true. Not if he's a human being. Maybe he's oblivious, never really thought about it. Maybe he's delusional. He's fooling himself on purpose, trying to build himself up, make everybody else look bad around him. Maybe he's just so consumed with his own pride and excitement about himself that he just that he's, can't see it. He's oblivious. Well, then there's like the other extreme This sad sack here, his knuckles are dragging the ground because he's skulking and all he can think about is his failure and, and his shame. Megan talked about that last week. She talked about how shame can prevent us from worshiping. But actually, these two people, though they look like they're at opposite ends of the spectrum, they're very close together. They're really part of the same picture because their evaluation of themselves is both based on their pride, on their egocentric pride. How do you, how do you solve this problem of one or the other? Some people think, well, you can't be too cocky, but you can't be too humble. As if, the, you know, you put one foot on a block of ice and a other foot on top of a hot stove, and then there, now you struck a balance. And that's not the Christian life. That's not the answer. The answer isn't to sort of strike a balance between these two extremes. Because each of these people are building their perception of their past and themselves on their pride. And so it's their pride that gets in the way. From a realistic solution, and that's part of what we're talking about here today. This: why is it that repentance is healthy? The one guy over there, his pride is at work. It's pretty obvious because he's got his hands like this and he's looking out at you and he's saying, "I'm all right. What's wrong with you?" And the other guy, though, you, you think that he doesn't have a problem with pride because he's so depressed. But really, what he's doing is he's saying to himself over and over again, why don't I measure up? I don't measure up. I can't keep up. Now, most of us don't actually live in one place or the other. We, we go back and forth, depending, right? But when it comes to our past, it's very important for us to be aware of this dynamic. Because sometimes when we look at our past, we think, I did pretty good for myself. Huh? Huh? Look at what I've achieved. And other times we think of our past and I go, hope nobody ever finds out what I did. I am so embarrassed, so ashamed of, of what I did. Well, we do go back and forth between them. But the answer to this is not trying to strike a, a balance between them, the answer is to be totally different, to get out of this rut. And that's why this verse is so good. 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Now that is saying an awful lot. Just take a look at the first two words. Godly sorrow. See that tells you that there's Another kind of sorrow that's not godly. Good good sorrow is what he's call, talking about here. The right kind. A good kind of sorrow. A godly kind of sorrow. It's not just sorrow. It's informed. It's informed by who God is and by what this person knows about God. And that's the kind of sorrow then that is helpful. Notice what it does. There's the verb. It brings something. Good, godly sorrow brings something. What does it bring? It brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. That's a beautiful phrase. It defines repentance, The sentence does. And so when you see this picture of the rest of the sentence, you see the contrast. But worldly sorrow brings death. See, it's not just believers that can be sorry for their sins. Anybody can be. But not all sorrow is good sorrow. Not all repentance is healthy. Some of it brings death. I think of I think of Adolf Hitler in his bunker, you know? He committed suicide. What did his sorrow bring him? Death. See, that's that's how it works. When people say, "Oh, they have a death wish," I go, yeah. They're not the only ones. You don't have to be a Freudian to believe that everybody has a death wish because everybody's a little depressed about who they are. And if you just let it feed and feed off of uh, your depression, see it brings death. People commit suicide are people who are angry. You're, that's where depression comes from, it's from anger. 80% of depression is rooted in anger over circumstances. Only 20% of it is biochemical or this or that. It comes from anger. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. See this guy on his knees here? He's not on his knees because he's depressed. He's not on his knees because he feels like he has to grovel in front of God so that God will like him. He's on his knees because he's worshiping. He stopped worshiping of himself, which is what pride is. And he's worshiping God. And it leaves no regret. It's healthy. He likes it. You can't worship God if you're uh, think you're the center of the universe. You can't worship God if uh, that's all you think about, consumed about you, yourself, your identity, your past, your future, your present, how you're coming off. To worship God, you have to be free from that. And so how did this guy get free from it? Well, with godly sorrow and repentance. That's how. And then that enables him to worship in a way that makes him Free. So that's what that that symbolizes there, by showing them on on his knees. And it's in contrast to what worldly sorrow brings. Worldly sorrow is, is just selfish sorrow. It's a sorrow about me. No humility before God here. No willingness to confess sin to God or to have it dealt with. He's still standing on his pride, even though he's sorry, he's still standing on his pride saying, I should have been able to do better. What's wrong with me? See the difference here? You see the difference? That's why I said at the outset, healthy repentance is good for you. Let me ask my second question. Do you obsess over your pride over your past? I'm sorry. Do you obsess over your past? Um, Why can some people face the past and others avoid it? I used to think that I didn't have a lot of problems with my past until I started looking at it a little more objectively. For instance, somewhere on this earth right now, there's a guy by the name of... Jeb Ettinger. And if I ever bump into Jeb Ettinger, he's going to have one reaction. He's going to say, "There's that Davis kid. He's a such a bully." Yeah. That's what Jeb's going to think when he sees me, if he ever sees me. You're not out there are you, Jeb? Anywhere? Because when we were kids, I would only play with him if I couldn't find anybody else to play with. And then one day, I I couldn't find anybody else to play with, so I went over to Jeb's house, and he said, No, I'm not going to play with you. Why would would he want to? He says, I'm playing with Freddie Ruckel. Aren't these names great? Jeb Enninger, Freddie Ruckel. (laughs) And so I punched him in the nose and gave him a nosebleed. And my reaction, was it horror? No. I went, wow, these new cowboy gloves really work. And they were rawhide, you know, and it made me feel tough. And I punched him in the nose, and I gave him a bloody nose, and that's how he remembers me. And other things I did. And wherever I go, I can, I can say, well, we were just kids. I could say that. Or I could say, well, that was a long time ago. No, you know what that is? That's who I am. Me, I did that. Now, I would never think of myself as a bully. I was, in fact, thinking of the people who bullied me. And then one day, I remember Jeb Ettinger. And that just opened the door to other cases of when I had bullied people and been nasty. See, that's who I am, and I can't escape it. I know it's no big deal because it happened so long ago and I was just kids. But nonetheless, that's who I am. And there's other things that are much more recent. We go into those. I don't really want to. I'm not going (laughs) to. But there is such a thing as true guilt, see? That's the point. Guilt isn't just a feeling, because I don't have guilt feelings about Fred. I have uh, Freddie Ruckel and Jeb Beninger. I have more guilt feelings. I have more feelings about how I didn't measure up than I felt sorry for them. I have, I have deeper, stronger feelings. That what's a pastor doing around, going around when he's a kid punching people in the nose? See, I'm more worried about myself. True guilt is facing up to who you really are. And when you do that, then you, then you find out there is such a thing as real guilt. Not just feelings. Because, like I said, I have no feelings about Jeb Ettinger. But I do have true guilt. In the eyes of God, in the eyes of Jeb, and in my own eyes, too. Now, this is important because... We're told that we shouldn't have guilt feelings. And the only reason we're told this by psychologists and psychiatrists is because they can't do anything about it. And if it dominates you, then it makes you dysfunctional. And so since they can't do anything about it, and since guilt, if it dominates you, will make you dysfunctional, they say it's bad. Well, we've already seen there is such a thing as godly sorrow. We've already seen there is a good kind of guilt feeling, guilt awareness. And that's the kind that makes a difference. Did you ever notice the difference between Judas, who betrayed Jesus, and Peter, who denied Jesus? They both denied Jesus at a point in their life. But Judas, even though he was sorry and hung himself, didn't turn to God in repentance. He didn't have godly sorrow that led to salvation with no regrets. But Peter did. Peter humbled himself and was forgiven by Jesus. Jesus gave him explicit forgiveness. Two two very similar cases come out very different ways. Here's your key verse, 1 John 1, 8 through 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, that's the denial. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the foundation of healthy repentance. Realizing that just like a little kid, as long as he's lying and refusing and and whining and stubborn, you know, he's going to get resistance from mom and dad. But as soon as he says, I'm sorry, well, the hearts melt and the hugs begin. That's how it is with our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died so that we can have this kind of relationship. All of us can rattle off a long list of of bad things we've done and failures. Uh, that would ruin your reputation, right? But you can see the difference of what we're talking about when you go to God and believe what he's telling you to do. And that is to acknowledge it. That's true repentance. True repentance is a healthy thing. It's good for you. And here's my third question. Do you humbly trust the work of Christ? Do you humbly trust his work? Now, I underline work here because the work of Christ is what he came on the earth to do. You may think, do I believe in Jesus is what I'm saying. Uh, No, it's more than that. I'm saying, do you believe that he actually accomplished his job? That the work he had to do, he did it. What is that work? Basically, essentially, the crux of it is he paid for your sins when he died on the cross. Now, that's the foundation for this freedom that you feel here. Some feel like their their past has ruined them, that you've been smashed. You know, did you ever drop a... a Glass on the ceramic on the tile floor, and it just shatters and goes everywhere, and there's just no hope of repairing it. Some people feel that way about their lives; they think their lives have been wasted. They think their lives are are worthless. They think they did things that can can, makes it irreparable. But that's just not true. That's the work of Christ is to make us new people all over again. That's why godly, godly sorrow is productive. When we repent, remember we're talking about repentance, healthy repentance, two things are going on. The first thing in healthy repentance is godly sorrow, admitting my sin. But it's worthless without the second thing. And the second thing is trust in the work of Christ. Trust, faith, confidence, what Jesus did actually can heal me from my past from the things I've done that's how godly sorrow is productive it's not productive without this knowledge that what Jesus did was come to earth so that we can have new life without that all you've got Is a psychiatrist saying, yeah, well, you shouldn't be feeling guilty because it will make you dysfunctional eventually. Jesus changes everything. He changes the way we see ourselves. He gives us a whole new way of looking at life. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So you have to believe that. How does it happen that you become a new creation? It happens by the, the work of Christ which is the work of Christ on the cross. Dying to sin, rising in newness. That is what's applied to you. It's applied to you by the Holy Spirit. It's the work of Christ through your instrument of faith and repentance by the agency of the Holy Spirit working inside you. That's how it works. That's how it's laid out in Scripture. It's almost like an equation. The work of Christ received through the instrument of faith and repentance by the agency of the Holy Spirit applying it to you. Revelation's all about that. Behold, he says, I'm making all things new. And that includes those who turn to him and believe this. It's, yes, this is what you have to believe. That's the rest of the equation. Healthy repentance involves believing this. It's not just feeling sorry. That's not healthy repentance. Healthy repentance involves this as well. So that means in your lives, what you do every day, instead of saying to yourself, oh, I failed again, what's the use What's the use of asking for forgiveness? What's the, I, maybe I need to grovel more before God. Maybe I just need to be sorry. I've got to work up some good sorrow inside me. I've got to work up some feelings of sorrow and guilt so that God knows I'm serious. See, instead of looking at it that way, just say to yourself, Yeah, I'm going to keep on sinning and I'm going to keep on repenting. I know I'm going to keep on sinning. I don't want to. I'm going to try not to. But I know it's going to happen. But you know what else? I'm going to keep repenting too. Quickly repent. Promptly. Frequently. Don't say to yourself, well, I repented yesterday and the day before six times. And now God must be getting tired of me. Don't do that. Don't give in to it. Look, healthy repentance is good for you. Now, choose to repent frequently and promptly. Let's pray. Lord God, ask that we might really be excited about the new life in Christ and how you offer us that new life even when we feel worn out by our own sins and even when we feel discouraged and stupid because we just can't seem to get traction sometimes help us to quit believing in ourselves and start to believe in you help us to start remembering the work of Christ calling to mind how you're making all things new I must realize that that's what repentance is about believing in Jesus instead of my own abilities we pray in Jesus name Amen
0: I'm going to stand invite you to stand as we sing one last song together this morning uh, you remember back to last week I said this is the song I couldn't sing and you guys sang for me and as soon as daryl gave the topic for today this is the first song i started to sing again so let's all sing it together one more time this week it's called calvary the savior alone he carried the cross for all of my debt he paid the cost salvation complete now forever I Calvary covers it all. Sing out Calvary. Calvary